This week on a lively experiment, a top aide to Dan McKee finds himself the target of an ethics complaint. Will there be backsplash on the governor? And more than 40,000 Rhode Islanders will lose unemployment benefits next month. We sit down with the Director of Labor and Training to talk about what's ahead. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by for more than 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen-White, Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS. Joining us with their insights, attorney and former prosecutor Eva Marie Mancuso, corporate communications consultant and former TV news anchor Dave Lehman, and former state representative Nick Gorham. Welcome everyone, I'm Jim Hummel. It is great to have you with us this week. It is the first major bump in the road for Dan McKee since he took over as governor nearly six months ago. His longtime chief of staff, Tony Silva, is under siege, accused of trying to influence state and town officials to get a permit for a controversial land deal in Cumberland. That has prompted an ethics complaint, and now the attorney general is taking a look. Nick, let me begin with you, and let's make it clear. The ethics complaint is about a disclosure issue right. on the property that's in question. But the larger issue here is it's not a good optic, but the governor is standing behind Mr. Silva. Yeah, so far, uh, he uh, he asked the attorney general to investigate. But, uh, you know, the the real lesson here is you've got to err on the side of caution when you're when you're in a public position like that. And, you know, he says I mean, he's kind of trying to finesse it. Uh, the chief of staff, Mr. Silva, by saying, well, it was just a purchase and sale agreement. That's not an interest in property. So. I didn't need to disclose it, but you know, to be safe, you sh he should have. And now, I don't know what the attorney general is going to do. I, I'm not even familiar with a practice where the attorney general becomes an advisory opinion on what? What is he investigating? Right. But anyway, I mean, there's no crime as far as I can tell. Uh, but it's, um, it's yeah, it's his first real crisis. Um, you know, it, it's, it could. It has potential to get kind of messy because he's very closely affiliated with Cumberland, as is the governor. Right, and Tony Silva, there. it's all Cumberland because he was the yeah. former police chief. What about the optics? Welcome to the campaign of <laughs> next year. Yeah. Uh, that I see this all as political. Um, it, and let me be clear. I got these uh, people were dropping dimes right and left three or four months ago. This is going out to all the reporters. So it's not yeah. surprising that a number of people are on it. I'm not sure what the source was. And that doesn't lessen the 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 uh, the you know, the, the the merits of the case. But you're right. There is a political angle. It's, it's all political. The governor. I'm, I totally support the governor. He is laser focused on jobs, the economy, on COVID, and doing the right thing. So this is just a distraction for him. Um, I've had to fill out those ethics forms as chair of the Board of Education. Um, I, I think that there's always some wiggle room as to what you write down. If, if I'm in the process of buying something, I agree with you that you should err on the side of, of caution and writing it out. But that's a separate issue. That's a chief of staff issue, not a governor's issue. So I think that the governor, and I support the governor, saying, listen, if for total transparency, let's reach out to the attorney general. The attorney general will look to see if, in fact, there was a crime committed. If it was a violation of a statute, pay the fine and move on. Wiggle room, but once you're in the wiggle, you're losing. You're losing ground. You know, 
If there's wiggle room, err on the side of caution. There's, a crime, but the, there's a crime, but then there are optics, right? Well, the, the optics, uh, I think, are awful. I looked at the property online. We're talking about 5,600 square feet. It, it's basically just a little, little forest there in a residential neighborhood. 93% is wetlands. And 93% of it is wetlands. The neighbors around it have been uh, exercised over this because uh, if they were to fill that in and put a, a, you can only put a small house on it to begin with, uh, they would end up with a flood problem uh, more serious than the one that they already have. So when you have neighbors fighting this thing, uh, I mean, in many ways, it's much ado about nothing except the optics just look terrible because of this. This looks like a, a, a typical Rhode Island frittata. Well, DEM says no, and then yeah. he's the chief of staff, and they say yes. Yeah, well, well they, they, they flipped. And, and, and the other thing that I would say about the governor, and, and I think he's, he's a terrific guy. I don't know him well. But in this particular case, I think he also made a mistake that optically is not pleasant. He said uh, he supports the guy, but I really don't know much about this. Now, first of all, before you say you're going to support the guy, you say, well, look, this has some concern. I'll look into it and I'll get back to you. Rather than put, put the innocent uh, aspect out there, because as a, as a politician, you've got to look as though you are concerned that something might not have been right here. And before you put your imprimatur on it, Look into it. I mean, I maybe well, just. I, I don't a, agree with that because I think that they have a long-term relationship. Um, he was he was police chief. He was the head of the. Um, hey, he was his chief of staff and lieutenant chief governor. Of staff. Yeah, you know, right. I mean, when you have a long relationship with somebody, you you say that you you know I've I've known the guy forever, so sure. I know him to be just, somebody who is honorable. Um, but I do think that this is political. We're talking about this because of his role in Dan McKee's administration, and I. I just think it's just the first political. But that's the whack. whole reason people are saying he got the approval because yeah. of his position. And with that's why the attorney right? general I'm, has to look I'm, at it because that is criminal. That is criminal if uh, he used if his you position. Wish, yeah. That's right. Having seen the campaign finance reports and the millions of dollars that have been raised uh, by the Democrat candidates for governor, I last and I was trying to think of the type of negative ad that this would give rise to because you know it's coming. Uh, it's, I, I agree with Eva, it's probably mostly politics, but it could easily have been avoided. And it's just hard to believe that uh, the chief of staff had another job outside of being <laughs> the chief of staff for the lieutenant governor when McKee was lieutenant governor and then as governor, and nobody knew about it. Yeah, $7,500 to be the advisor on emergency I mean, management, and apparently not only in Cumberland, but other places too. Yeah, and he's he's given it up. In all fairness, he's, yeah, he's, he's given, given it up. Oh, yeah. But now, I mean, now, 200, now, now, yeah, but 200 grand isn't enough? Come yeah, on, right? Well, it's just, I mean, how many, how many government jobs does he have? Right. Well, the other you know, let me say this. All one pension. I, I, think, I think Governor McKee was absolutely right on by uh, asking the Attorney General to take a look at it. I think that was the right thing yeah. to do. And, and I'll tell you what, other politicians would not have done that right away. They would have been forced into do that a little farther down the road. So I think we have to give him credit that he did that. Okay. Uh, Rhode Island is the uh, microcosm of the debate going on across the country. Stu uh, some parents very upset about their kids having to wear masks. 
going back to school, others saying they don't want their kids going without the mask. This is playing out with school departments, and they've gotten ugly in other parts of the country, and a, and a, and a pretty vigorous debate here. Um, Evo, there's a couple of things to unpack here, because the council, it, it was not called that when you were there, right? Council of Elementary and Secondary <laughs> it, Education. It was. It, it was. was. We split, uh, in my last year after the legislation uh, passed, we split it into two, so we had the council for... The colleges K- over here. Correct. So, they're... All under the all under the Rhode Island Board of Education. Right. So they made the decision before Governor McKee made the mask mandate. Right. They said, even though we don't have the legal authority, we feel this is important enough that we're going to mandate. And now there's potential litigation over that. So let's talk about that, the process, but also the intent there. So what did you think when you saw that? Well, first of all, um, they have legal counsel. And, you know, to me, uh, maybe it's because I'm a lawyer, but if I ask my legal counsel whether or not I have the authority to do something and they say no, then I would not have done it. So that's number one in terms of the process of doing it. But on the issue itself of masking, um, people need to put masks on. Um, anecdotally, I'll tell you a story that I heard this past week that just, it rocked my socks. A friend of mine's dad was in Rhode Island Hospital for hot problems, brought in there, what have you, 48 hours in the emergency room before he could get a bed because they were working on COVID people coming in because we know that the underemployed and, I mean, the uninsured and the underinsured and the people that don't have a primary care doctor use the emergency rooms for that. 48 hours before the guy gets a bed. So, you know, this is real um, in terms of the overflow. Just put a mask on when you're out in public. I don't understand what the issue is. But as to kids, some people this would is, argue. So yeah, it's about kids, though. Yeah, but the kids, the, council- the kids are not the kids are not vaccinated. And the kids, would, you know, I just ran vacation Bible camp. And again, they're anecdotes. Kids, no problem. They know exactly what to do. They come in. They you put the masks on. You think the parents on. get more upset? Absolutely. So, Nick, absolutely. Well, um, I've heard someone said this is like a, this mask question. Does the governor have the authority to do it? And the General Assembly said, sure you do, sure you do. Um, nothing separates the executive and legislative branches of government faster or better than a hot potato. And masks are the hot potato right now. You do it, you do it. You do it. it, And they they couldn't decide, you know, the General Assembly said to the governor, you have all, the leadership said, you have all the authority we need, you need, we amended, we amended, we uh, extended uh, your emergency powers in Article 3 of the budget and so forth. And the governor was still somewhat reluctant to impose the mandate because it it may have political consequences for him. What do you think flipped him? Uh, I don't really know. I think I think because um, well, for one thing, people were starting to challenge whether he could do it, um, and I think he just eventually felt also. Well, I think I think the problem came when the Council on Secondary Education uh, voted to impose the mandate. I think they did it illegally, as I understand it. They didn't give any notice. Uh, they're a public body. They're supposed to give notice. And then he decided two days later. And then later. He's, he covered for them and said, okay, everybody, every school has to wear masks. Go ahead, Dick. Yeah, I, t- to me, I think it's, it's fairly simple. The public 
is demanding masks in larger numbers. And with this new strain of virus, I mean, to me, this is a, a no-brainer. I think, I think, you know, he flipped on this pretty quickly, and I think it was probably the right decision to make uh, and let the lawyers figure this out later on about, about whether he has the power or not. In the meantime, you're saving lives. That's a little bit more right, important. But, that, that's but a little I'd like to focus on the, the, like the efficacy on... of, of the governor's mandate is entirely dependent on whether he has the authority to require it. The and the speaker, general, right. But the House Speaker says he does. Right, right. And, but and why you know, is the governor my, asking? My is view it, is that it's the, let's, let's, and, and I'm a lawyer, so I like process, but let's look at the bigger picture. The governor has direct access to Dr. Nicole Alexander Scott and all of the information that's coming out by the minute, not even by the day that's happening. So he acts. And it makes a lot of sense to act. So just put a mask on. You know, people are dying. People are being in. The courts have now changed. The courts are saying that if you go into the courthouse, because it's a big public place, if you go in, whether or not you're vaccinated, you need to wear a mask. Uh, in our law firm, we've done the same thing. If you're coming in from the outside, you need to wear a mask. Most restaurants and, and um, <clears throat> not restaurants, but most of the, um, most of the businesses are saying, we, we're asking that you Strongly wear a mask. Strongly recommend. Strongly recommend. Some places do, well, you Delta know. Delta Airlines came out this week. They're requiring their right. employees or they're, they're going to charge them $200 more for their, their monthly insurance. What about the argument, though, that, and I realize it takes a lot of pressure off the school boards and the superintendents, but Barrington is different than Central Falls, is different than South Kingstown, is different than Newport in terms of vaccination rates and protocols and all that. And a superintendent may say, hey, we feel that our kids are safe at the high school or the middle school because we've had 90% vaccinated. The teachers are mostly vaccinated. So that takes their choice away. And right. I know, yeah. so is that the problem you have? Well, I think local choices are always better for education. Local, you know, local control is an important component of good education. Yeah. And uh, the governor's order completely deprives schools of making so what about any that? decision. I, I agree with you. I agree with him on 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 the local everything being local. But this is a pandemic. This is a virus. I mean, we're not talking about we're talking about a, a populated state of a million people in in a small area. So it's not like people in. Barrington don't drive to Providence or mm -hmm. Pawtucket, or people in Warwick don't go to Central Falls or Pawtucket. Or they or don't East go Providence. to a shopping center, or they don't go to a, to right. a grocery Restaurant. store. Yeah. You know, you, you know. Uh, to me, I, I think uh, when you're talking about this, Nick, I understand about having local control over uh, over uh, what happens within the schools on academic issues. This is something that nobody has any control over. If there's anything this pandemic has taught us for a year and a half is we have no control over it. And responsible politicians are people who are saying, we gotta save lives first, we'll work out the details later. But you know, if you have a legal opinion, you can go ahead and appeal it. And then you can appeal that. When somebody dies, right. there is no appeal. They're gone. I, you know, I don't disagree with the, uh, the notion that it's important to wear masks, uh, especially uh, in some of the grades of the schools that are managed by local school committees. I'm just saying, I think you can leave that choice to school committees. They're elected, they know their community well, that's the whole point of having them. And it looks like them. the vast majority were going to do it anyway. Yeah, right. Uh, so, uh, one know, other this point, is, though, that I, I think refutes that, 
We've left the choice to the states, and the states where the people are not getting vaccinated right. are the ones that are killing people left and right and are causing the problems in the emergency right. rooms that you've talked about. So people can't, not only can they not but, get elective surgery, but we're in a different situation but, but up here. That's not a crisis among Rhode Island schools. I haven't heard that, uh, that, that the failure of uh, Foster Gloucester to impose a mask mandate is, is killing kids in Barrington or anything like that. Um, I just think... Well, first it, of all, they, just they wouldn't that, have that information anyway. Well, I think they can make the decision themselves. And they can certainly get guidance from the governor on whether it should be done. My goodness, there's enough guidance out there from all forms of government. All right, to be, uh, to be continued, we've had a lot of discussion on this program about unemployment benefits, which have been going on almost a year and a half now. Some have said that have made it very difficult to get employees, particularly in the service sector. A big date coming up on September 4th. A lot of these benefits are going to run out. Um, it's been coming, but I sat down with the head of DLT, Matt Weldon, to talk about this, and he had some interesting observations. Here's some of what he had to say to me. So during the pandemic, the federal government introduced three new programs uh, to really help working families and Rhode in general just get by. Uh, those programs have happened now for about 17 months. It's been such a long time, and they're coming to an end on September 4th, will be the last payment that can be requested by anybody in Rhode Island of those programs. I, on behalf of the governor, worked with the General Assembly to change the law regarding how much somebody can earn while working and still collecting a partial unemployment payment. And the reason for that was, in the past, you could only earn up to your benefit rate and then you were shut off. Actually, a dollar less than your benefit rate and you were shut off. And what that meant was if somebody had a low benefit rate, working a day or two a week might keep them from getting a payment. And when the federal government was paying an extra $300 a week, that probably kept a lot of people from entering the workforce. You know, we're up against it, but there is time people could get a job right away. In fact, I had heard a, an anecdote from a colleague who also works in the restaurant industry, and they said if somebody were to work to, walk down Atwell's Avenue with a resume at nine in the morning, they'd have a job by 10 and they'd be working by four in the afternoon. I think people need to think about jobs, and maybe not their next career move, but a job, because 45,000 Rhode Islanders will find themselves without benefits in a couple of weeks. That's a lot of people. And as much as I've been talking about get a job, go back to work, it hasn't been punitive. It's not because I'm, I'm tired of dealing with these people. It's because there isn't going to be anything left for me to pay them. One of the, the big concerns I have, uh, and quite frankly, the thing I do lose sleep over, I don't lose sleep over a lot, I'm a pretty calm guy, but I don't think people have taken it seriously enough. And I think the federal government used the unemployment system as a vehicle to push stimulus into the economy. That worked for a long time, but it's been you know, extended and extended. And I think online, people are telling each other, don't worry, it's gonna get extended again. So they're just not taking it seriously. And when people wake up on September 5th and realize that they're no longer covered by unemployment, it's gonna be ugly. And so people should know we are here for you. We want to help you, it's free. Please go to backtoworkri.com and take advantage of those services. So in Rhode Island alone, just under $2 billion, just for Rhode Island in extra benefits. I think the government did use this, Dave, to, to do the stimulus. You live on Aquidneck Island. I can imagine trying to go to a restaurant. I wonder if you think this is going to change. It's more nuanced. People have been out because of childcare and their concerns about COVID. But you wonder how this is going to change the dynamic on getting workers now, because they got to find a job. Well, I mean, I can tell you, uh, yesterday I went into a couple of restaurants in Newport uh, to make some reservations and I found out that some of the most popular and I mean iconic names in Newport are not even serving dinner 
uh, or lunches these days in the middle of the tourist season. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about names that everybody would recognize and they can't get enough people. I said, well, is there a problem getting, getting food or what is it? And they said, they don't have staff. They don't have staff. And I, I saw there was a study, I think, that was done through Salve Regina uh, University that just came out in this past week that indicated that uh, 30 percent uh, of the economy, of New, Newport's economy, has been uh, uh, drastically affected by what has happened over the past year and a half. Now, the only thing that shocked me was I thought the number would be even higher than that. But you can't. I've, I've got friends of mine in Newport who could not get a reservation. They were here for a month and they could not get a reservation at restaurants where you would normally be able to get one if, if you did it a, a few days in advance. You can't get in a Castle Hill is a great example, although it's an expensive restaurant. You can't. You've got to do it two weeks ahead. And people call an hour before that two-week period begins, and they still can't get it's a like reservation. It's like getting Rolling Stones tickets. 45,000 people, right. that's a lot of people, and those benefits are going to be over. Right, right. And, and um, I share Matt's, Matt's feeling that people aren't taking it seriously. Um, they just, oh, it's the summer, and they're going along. Well, what's going to happen in September um, You know, when there's no money coming into these families? Um, it, it's going to make, I, I think it's going to make it very difficult for the families. You're going to see a lot of taxing on the food banks. Uh, you're going to see a lot of taxing on all of the other social services because the parents are going to realize now, you know, there's no more benefits coming in. Well put. Um, 45,000, I wrote down 45,000 Rhode Islanders, nothing left to pay them. That's what Mr. Weldon said. Right. And that's September 5th. That's, you know, just a couple weeks away. Uh, it's it's going to be bloodshed. Sounds like. I mean, I don't know what people are going to do. Yeah, it's well, been a great 45, summer. Thousand, that that would be the equivalent of Barrington's population, probably Warren's population. Yeah, yeah. Bristol, right, yeah. and maybe yeah. even Bristol. Bristol yeah. I mean, that's that's well, to get, oh, Dave, maybe you'll be able to get your reservation in Newport in a month because <laughs> the guy goes in at nine, he's hired at ten, and he's working by four. Maybe they can get him on the lunch. The unfortunate thing is, set. I'm the guy who just applied for that job. Yeah, <laughs> there, there you go. But you know, Dave, it's not just it's not just the restaurant industry. Also, I mean, if yeah. you when right. you go yeah. everywhere, exactly. Um, everywhere. You know, I had to go yeah. to Restaurant Depot uh, the other day for. Um, just to get some stuff for close to kids. And I was in there, it took me five minutes to shop and 45 minutes to check out. And yeah. that's just because yeah. there were people in there and it was lined up and they didn't have enough staff and there was a big sign up that said, we're hiring. Um, so a lot of places um, have signs on the doors saying that we're, we're hiring. So it's not just the restaurant industry. It's also um, the Walmarts, the Targets, all of the other um, stores that are out there, you know, trying to get people to come in. I Final guess the thought. lesson is, well, just a blanket, payment to everybody uh, does not, it's, it's not always accurate. It doesn't always reach everybody who needs it because there are a lot of jobs out well, there and, we, and nobody wants them. But we asked Governor Raimondo and they, they asked initially the administration when Biden came in, what do you think about this? Oh, well, that's not what we're hearing. It's not affecting the unemployment oh, situation. That's totally so. not true. Just yeah. uh, my, my evidence is only anecdotal, but I mean, everywhere you go, All right. employers me, uh, are saying we don't have, an, we don't have enough employees. I don't want to short you guys on outrageous and or kudos. And Mr. Lehman made a special request today to do both, so we had to clear a little bit of time out for him. You have an outrage and a kudo. Yes, I, you, you've outed me. Yeah, I have. That's all right. Uh, it, two, everything's on the table on Lively. Two congressmen this past week, one of them from Massachusetts, uh, Congressman Seth Molden, uh, Molden 
he and another uh, congressman dropped in unexpectedly on an unauthorized trip right in the middle of all the chaos in Kabul because they wanted to find out what's going on with the Biden withdrawal plan. How stupid was this? It, they, they got there. Nobody was expecting them. Both of these guys, by the way, are uh, de- decorated war veterans from Iraq. I mean, these guys are military guys. They know what's going Did on. Did they fly commercial? They, 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 they flew commercial. And, and then they got a military hop into Kabul because uh, they had to. These guys should have known better. This was grandstanding of the highest order. You know, if you want to go in and find out what's going on, first of all, you can stay at home and watch cable TV because you can get all the inf- most of all the information you need. At any rate, I think this was an embarrassment that these guys pulled this off. So uh, these two guys are showboats, and they ought to be shown the door the next time people get a chance to vote for them. I'd like to uh, offer a kudo, though, to the war correspondents who are really risking their lives. A lot of people at home probably think, well, these guys travel with a big entourage. They've got security and all that. Most of the time, these people are going, like you and me, just going around by themselves with a cameraman and a translator. I think we really need to show a great deal of appreciation and gratitude for that these people are putting their lives. They don't have a a platoon. They don't have an M16 or whatever the rifle of the day is. I think we really need to thank them for that. And one other thing I'll add on to that is uh, we had a close call with, with a hurricane. And it brought home to me as a former news guy and a news director and a news anchor Uh, the great service that our television stations and radio stations did to try to keep people informed. We very often take that for granted. And these are people who, to a lesser extent, put their lives on the line. They're in dangerous situations. And I think, you know, uh, the television industry gets a lot of of, uh, hits, a lot of criticism. But this is a time where they really provide a tremendous community service that we all rely on trying to figure out what we need to do, where it's going, and what's going to happen. I think sometimes you ought to write an email and and thank these people because they are doing a a tough job in a very difficult situation. I would echo what you say. Richard Engel for NBC and Clarissa Uh Ward from CNN. She's right in the middle of it with these Taliban. And I watched an interview last night. He was interviewing the Taliban spokesman. And in the background, everybody was carrying the rifles. And the guy's (laughs) like, he's right in the middle of it. And he was in a spot that had been blown up before. Anyhow, Eva, what do you have? I agree with the kudos as a military mom um, and a military wife. It's... um, you know, it, yeah, I agree mm-hmm. with you. Kudos. I mean, getting the information as it happens from people that are out there, uh, risking their own lives and not mm-hmm. having the the background. Um, so that's I'm going to go with an outrage. Go. Um, the state is not a bank. So the Superman building people, who want the state to bail them out, I think that's just wrong. Unless the state is going to get some ownership interest or some money or anything else, um, there has to be some ongoing revenue for what they're looking for. But the state could have bought this for a dollar, right? But they didn't do it because they knew about what it was going to cost. So now to come in to help a private developer um, buy something and not get anything in the end, we're not a bank. So if they want a partnership, welcome to it. But there's got to be some ongoing revenue from it. Nick, you've got the last minute. Outrage uh, can't ignore what's happening in Afghanistan. Uh, it's, it's certainly an outrage. I wish we could hear more from our congressional delegation. Uh, give Jack Reed credit. He went on with um, uh, Channel 12. Oh, he was critical. Uh, he was critical. Um, 
And I thought that was, uh, that took some guts. It'd be nice to hear from the rest of our congressional delegation, but the outrage is not so much them. It's, it's the president and his failure to execute this correctly. It's, um, it's an outrage. Couldn't skip that. Um, kudos, I'd like to give kudos to... Everybody's doing outrages and kudos. Did you get this pre-approved? Uh, go ahead. <laughs> I never get anything 30 seconds, you go ahead. You should know that by now. Jessica de la Cruz, uh, senator, um, demanded that the General Assembly come back and clarify what is, this, what is the law on this mask issue. Uh, it's the General Assembly's job to make the law, and they've punted on everything having to do with this. They just put it in the hands of the governor, and he's, of course, they're going back and forth about uh, what his powers are. Good idea by Senator de la Cruz. She gets kudos. Thank you. Okay. Folks, that is all the time we have. Dave and Eva and Nick, thank you so much. And, folks, thank you for watching. Come back next year. Next year. Come back here next week and and next year, too. Uh, If you can't catch us Friday at uh, 7 or Sunday at noon, check us out on our website, ripbs.org, Facebook, and Twitter. We appreciate your loyalty to this show. We'll be back here next week with all the latest as the Lively Experiment continues. Have a great week. Experiment is generously underwritten by. For more than 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of important political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm John Hazen White Jr., and I'm proud to support this great program and Rhode Island PBS.